Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor Responds videos. Uh, once again, I have found a very enthusiastic apologist for the Book of Abraham in a gentleman whose name is Jeff Roundy. And the thing I love about Jeff is his enthusiastical, <laughs> his gung-ho, he's bright-eyed, and he's bushy-tailed, and he's excited because I have the evidences. I really do have the evidences for the truth of all of this Mormon stuff, and for Joseph Smith, and for Revelation, and it's all true. And I'm not trying to mock him. He genuinely believes this. Now, Jeff reminds me of me when I was an apologist. I've watched several of his videos, and he lavishly quotes the fair scholars, Jeff Lindsay. He lavishly quotes John Gee when it comes to the Book of Abraham, and Kerry Mulstein sometimes, but John Gee is his main man. He uses the apologists in order to assess the evidence and validity of the LDS scriptures, just like I did as an apologist. I am seeing myself 10 years ago. And for me, this is a very educational experience and moment in my life because I am no longer an apologist. So this, to me, is what I look like. This is what, to me, I sounded like. And I like this guy. He's trying. He's really trying hard. He truly is. But I do have a couple of items that I would like to respond to. Of I've got a couple of clips that I will share of him. And then I will respond because there's been a new development just in this last week since I produced a response to him a week or so ago. And so let's see what this, now this is from a video that I have not responded to just yet. I'm going to this time. This is his video, why I didn't do a video on the CES letter. And it's a little bit of a clickbait because he actually says he's done about 40 videos on the CES newsletter. And each one of those items in the CES letter, he produced an evidences video showing the response. So, so this is fun. Very interesting. Let's take a look and see what Brother Roundy has to say about a few items that I want to share a response to. Very interesting how he does this. Whoops. I'm going to share one brief example of something I thought was interesting about assumptions and then even evidences and how these almost tied together. It was the book of Abraham. So when I did that video on the book of Abraham, I talked about there always could be this potential for a, a missing scroll that we, we don't have um, that was lost for, for in the fire or whatever. This first one is quite frankly remarkable. This demonstrates that Jeff is not reading into the Egyptological responses 
to the LDS Egyptologists' claims. So he has approached this from only one side, exactly what I did as an apologist. Now, this is, at best, an incomplete methodology. It's not necessarily faulty, and yet it is simply because you won't be able to get the complete analysis nor the complete Egyptological evidence. This missing scroll theory is, of course, the baby of John Gee. This was his forte for several years. Robert Rittner, John Gee's teacher, John Gee's advisor, destroyed this thesis as when John Gee began to produce evidence for a longer scroll that was lost, and he claims this longer scroll is what housed the book of Abraham, Cook and Smith produced an article describing how the lengths of scrolls were measured, and it doesn't work. The scroll was not long enough to have a book of Abraham on it. Therefore, mathematically, they also showed that John Gee's missing scroll just has no justification whatsoever. Apparently, either Jeff Roundy is unfamiliar with the critical literature and response of not only Egyptologists, but mathematicians, or else he is simply ignoring them, which in my opinion is worse. Ignorance is worse than deception. I'm not going to accuse Jeff Roundy of anything. I'm just saying this is dated material, and it truly is invalid. So let's take a look at his second point that he makes, which I find interesting. Let's take a look. Uh, that could be a possibility, but also very much could be that this that the scrolls were just simply a catalyst for Joseph to receive revelation. There was precedence for this. Um, think about what we get from the book of Moses and Enoch, all that stuff from uh, just reading some, some verses in the Bible. So these catalysts that Joseph had had at times um, that, that he experienced. So um, here's what's interesting is, so then you see all of these fascinating things that we now discover. So I did the evidences video on all these ancient Egyptian ties now that are there. So how did that happen? And I think of it, I, I like to say the divine fingerprints. So the <laughs> I mean, come on, you gotta enjoy his enthusiasm, don't you? The divine fingerprints. Now, here is where my new information comes in. The catalyst theory is just bunk. That doesn't work either. It doesn't work for a very important reason, however. Now, my suspicion is the apologists know this. 
but they're not going to play it out entirely straight because it decimates the catalyst theory. So, so they're going to manipulate the material, and this is unfortunate. Joseph Smith is the refutation of the catalyst theory, ironically, because he's claiming he is translating the Egyptian papyrus from the language which he knows the meaning of. Now, this is interesting. If the apologist want to claim that, well, I mean, he knew it because the Lord gave him the information of the Egyptian language, this is where they have to ignore Joseph Smith. They cannot have it both ways. And this is profound. So I want to take a brief moment to share with you why it doesn't work. In the facsimiles, Joseph Smith says this. I got to get to my handy pearl of great price. There's that book of Moses. Now we're getting into the book of Abraham. I will skip facsimile one for the moment. In fact, I'm not going to talk about facsimile one in this one. I'm going to talk about Essential, well, essentially facsimile two and three. And two is the hypocephalus, of course. We're all familiar with this. If you've seen my videos, or uh, th there's lots of videos out there. Now, figure five. Let's just see Joseph Smith's explanation. Now, and again, the apologists have made a claim that, well, Joseph Smith is not responsible for these explanations. These aren't scripture. This is just Joseph Smith's idea. But the catalyst theory says he received it by revelation, and he would have had to because none of the hieroglyphs in facsimile number two could have come in any other way to Joseph Smith except through revelation. If he's going to get this right, are you following? Figure five, open your pearl great prices and follow along with me. The explanation, it is called in Egyptian, Inish Goandash. This is one of the governing planets also, and is said by the Egyptians to be the sun. So, and it borrows just like from Kolob through the medium of K.E. Von Rosh, which is the grand key, or in other words, the governing power, which governs 15 other planets or stars, etc. Also flow east or the moon, the earth, and the sun in their annual revolutions. The planet receives its power through the medium of Kli Flos Isis or Hakokavim, which is not Egyptian at all. That's Hebrew. So the stars, represented by numbers 22 and 23, receiving light from the revolutions of Kolob. Joseph Smith knows the Egyptian meanings of the symbols because he directly says so. Right? He's completely wrong here. 
100%. There is not one Egyptologist in the world who accepts this. Not because they have something against Joseph Smith, but because the Egyptian is simply bunk as Joseph Smith gave it to us. If he received this by revelation, then God's on the line. There's the rub. That's why apologists have to ignore what Joseph Smith said if they're going to bring along this catalyst explanation. Let's turn to facsimile number three. The final one in the book of Abraham. We're all familiar with it. Abraham sitting upon Pharaoh's throne by the politeness of the king with a crown upon his head representing the priesthood as emblematic of the grand presidency of heaven with the scepter of justice and judgment in his hand. Figure two is the king Pharaoh whose name is given in the characters above his head. Let me see if I can find this real quick. I have this. The other day, I'm really sorry. I have to do it this way. See if I can find this real quick. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Oh, I'm getting close, I think. Look through a few of my papers here. The king's name written in characters above the king's head. Let's make sure we understand figure two is the yellow figure in facsimile number three, right? And there's the explanation in yellow where he says the characters above his head in the characters, those characters above the head of this figure, King Pharaoh. That is how Joseph Smith explains this. Then figure three the, the lotus stand, let's go to figure four, signifies Abraham in Egypt as given also in figure 10 of facsimile number one. Figure four is the orange one. And that says, Prince of Pharaoh, King of Egypt, as written above the hand. He is directly translating the Egyptian hieroglyphic here. And then figure five, which is the green figure here, is Shulam, one of the king's principal waiters, as represented by the characters above his hand. Let's understand this carefully. Oh, no, I lied. Shulam is the... Shulam is the guy I did not color. It is the slave guy, the servant that I colored. What Who Shulam is is this guy, and the characters are above his hand right there in Egyptian. Joseph Smith is specifically telling us what the Egyptian means. Now, here's the new information that I personally have received in communication with the Egyptologist, Dr. Thomas Mekis, T-A-M-A-S-M-E-K-I-S. He sent me an email wherein he said he entirely agreed with my first disagreement with Jeff Roundy's analysis of the book of Abraham, 
And he says it is too bad that the Mormon scholars are misusing our Egyptological research and taking it out of context in order to justify their wrong interpretations and their wrong translations and their wrong history. There are no Egyptological evidences in favor of the book of Abraham. This is the LDS scholar's bias and wishful thinking in order to account for the connections of the book of Abraham on the one hand and the Egyptological materials on the other, they always have to twist the Egyptologist materials incorrectly, warp, distort, and then they can find the parallels, but those are always invalidated. Dr. Meckes has shared with me, I will be receiving his book here in about a week on the hypocephalus. He is one of the world's leading experts on the hypocephali, which just happens to be one of the facsimiles of the book of Abraham. He says there is no Egyptologist on the planet who agrees with anything Joseph Smith said either about the facsimiles in the book of Abraham, and that doesn't matter, it's one, two, or three, and he said they don't agree at all with any of the interpretation of the papyri which Joseph Smith gave in either the Egyptian alphabet and grammar, the Kirtland Egyptian papers, the astronomical section, the Princess Khatumin, all of the translation does not work. It's bogus from an Egyptological viewpoint. So, for Jeff Roundy to say that I found all of these Egyptological connections, no, you have not. I have a professional Egyptologist who is saying that those connections are false. But Jeff Roundy, just like myself, and this is what makes this so delightful for me personally, is so enthusiastic because he is having his faith built by the very one-sided interpretation and view and translation and ideas from the Mormon side of this. And here is a cold-hearted blood-curdling fact, if you're utilizing only the fair apologists or the farms Egyptologists or the Mormon scholars on this book of Abraham and papyri issue, whenever they've tried to show the parallels, it doesn't matter if it's the plain of Olisham. It doesn't matter if it's about Egyptus, the woman finding Egypt underwater. It's irrelevant whether it's about Kolob in the facsimiles or Ammon Ray or Abraham on the altar. Whenever they discuss Joseph Smith's views of the papyri in the facsimile, 
they only do so in Mormon publications. They can't get it published in actual Egyptological journal articles because the Egyptologists who peer review this, and there's many Egyptologists, there's a very prominent one in UCLA, Robert Rittner has now died. He was the most prominent one in the University of Chicago. If I if I understand it right, Dr. Mekis is over there in Cairo, Egypt. I, I will be happy to be corrected. I will find out from him. I was so excited that he's sharing his hypocephalus research with me that I forgot to ask him where he is currently teaching. But I am going to be doing more hypocephalus interpretations from a legitimate Egyptological framework now, not just the Mormon faith-promoting view, which distorts the evidence, which is so unfortunate. But Jeff Roundy, in his wonderful enthusiasm, and it is awesome. He reminds me of me, I guarantee it. <laughs> he also reminds me of me in the very biased, slanted, one-sided approach. He can't have it right. It's impossible for one very solid reason. Because it isn't right. That's the fact. So thanks for watching my Backyard Professor Responds. I will have more as I have time dealing with exquisitely detailed translations of all kinds of hypocephali and comparing them with Joseph Smith's and all kinds of facsimiles. We think we get done with the Book of Abraham. We definitely have the smoking gun. And then the Mormons ingeniously find another little angle where they can sneak in. Aha, a parallel. Bam, Joseph Smith got this one right. And so we have the privilege, an opportunity, to look in depth into their analysis. And in every instance, without exception, we find sincere problems. But the apologists are so averse to recognizing this. I know the feeling. I was there. I promise. I get it. And that's why I continue in my personal odyssey of investigation and exploration and response. Because we want the truth not the faith-promoting answer. Thanks for watching my Backyard Professor response. I will return with many more in the future.